that your positive energy must be greater than their, all their negativity. Your certainty, your faith must be greater than all their doubt. So just continue to move forward. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, John Gordon is an inspirational speaker, and he will certainly breathe life into your potential. He is also the author of several books, including bestsellers like The Power of Positive Leadership and The Energy Bus, 10 Rules to Fuel Your Life, Work, and Team with Positive Energy. And let me tell you, John is a positive guy. And through his speaking engagements and books, John is truly a positive force in the world. But when most people hear John speak or read his books, they usually just see his current success. They don't take time to engage with his work and learn about the adversity or the inner journey that helped transform John into who he is today. Whether it was losing a political election or jumping into the dot-com bubble right before it burst, John's journey was full of harsh twists, surprising turns, and new beginnings. After almost getting whiplash from those twists and turns, John paused to ask himself a very important question for the first time. What is my purpose? John found that his purpose, his why, was being a writer and a speaker. So then, this guy who had no experience in writing or speaking, this former entrepreneur, former politician, former dot-commer, had to figure out how he could embark and realize his purpose. And as you'll hear, John will share that it did not go very well early on. Eventually, John discovered the key that changed everything. Your purpose isn't about you. It's about others. And that's what this show is about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about all of those people around us who need to be impacted by our purpose and potential. And after that point, John still had to put in the work, a ton of work for years, but at least now he was on the right path. Little by little, newsletters and blogs and speaking engagements started to build one on top of the other, and boom, now you have momentum. This is a great episode, and you and I are both going to learn a tremendous amount. Now, before we pull out our pens and papers and brace for impact and all that stuff, I have to share with you, I've got some incredible things in the works, some really big things that are happening, and I have two requests for you. One, if you're not already subscribed to my email list, please head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net and do that so that I can keep you informed of the things that are in the process right now and things that are in the mill and happening. And two, if you haven't left a review for the show on iTunes, please do it. I want to know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and how we can make the show even better. So you can head over to iTunes and do that at your convenience. And I'm so, so grateful for you turning in each and every week and allowing me the opportunity 
to share my guest stories with you. So now, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. John Gordon, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Super excited to have you to talk about uh, positivity, leadership, and just and purpose and meaning. You're, you're such a positive force in the world today, and uh, I'm really honored to have you on the show. Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you. You know, many people see successes and they think to themselves, gee, it must be nice to be John Gordon. You know, he's got dozens of books, he's got speaking engagements, he works with professional teams. But what they don't take time to, to do is actually engage in your work and learn about the adversity that you faced as a kid, the inner journey that you've, you've gone through to seek out and discover who you were meant to be and created to be, the pursuit that you had of money to ultimately nearly losing everything and making a huge leap of faith where you had nothing practically and you had, except for your two wife, I mean, your two, your two kids and one wife (laughs) and, uh, and, and all of those things. So, so with all that being said, can you take us back to the beginning? And for those people who don't really know much about your story and haven't had the opportunity to actually engage in your work, maybe they've seen you on Twitter because you're very active there. What was it like growing up as a kid? So middle-class family, me and my brother, my parents, biological father left when I was a year old. My mom remarried when I was five to my stepfather. He's my dad, though. I hate that term, stepfather, because he, he raised me, loved me as his own big influence in my life, New York City cop. But I often joke it was a Jewish-Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, <laughs> a lot of wine, a lot of whining, um, a lot of love, but you know, not the most positive environment, you know, dad being a cop, undercover narcotics. Oh, wow. Again, it was a lot of uh, negativity and the world is out to get you and you have to take on this world and you have to fight this world and so forth. So, but I played sports growing up. I was an athlete. I played three sports in in high school. I wound up going to college to play uh, lacrosse in college at Cornell University. Uh, The fact that I ended up there is just still a miracle to me. And then, you know, very entrepreneurial. I was always starting businesses. Even in, in uh, high school, I had a black topping business where I had black top driveways in the Northeast. And you know, I did like 10 driveways, made a little more than $1,000. I'm like, okay, I'm done for the summer. I'm good now. got some money and uh, would enjoy the summer. But I was always like, you know, doing things to, to make money. And then uh, in college, I didn't work though because I was so busy with, with sports. After college, I moved to Atlanta. Just got in a car with a buddy from high school and moved down to Atlanta from New York. Started waiting tables. Got a bartending job. That's a whole story in itself about how I got this <laughs> bartending job. Never bartended before in my life. Was going to get my master's in teaching at Emory while I bartended. And next thing you know, I met a guy next to the bar where I was working. He owned the place. And Buckhead was changing from a restaurant place to more of a bar place, a young person's place. This was a nice restaurant next door. I said, hey, would you ever sell this place? He said, everything's for sale. And (laughs) I got together with a few people and we bought the place. We took out a loan. We would have put in a little money, bought this place, made a successful bar. So now I'm, I'm 24 years old. I own this bar in Buckhead. It does really well. I'm making over 100,000 a year, I think, just at 24. Back then in 1994, you know, and making great money and um, started a nonprofit 
know, that raise money for youth-focused charities. I never thought I'd be a bar owner, never really wanted to be. For me, it was more about meeting people and connecting. And next thing you know, I, I, I uh, was meeting all these people for this nonprofit. So I would, they'd be drunk on a Friday and I would encourage <laughs> them to volunteer, you know, on a Saturday for a volunteer project we were doing. And it was just great. So I met all these young people, got them involved with these charities and nonprofits, and then just uh, met my wife, you know, not too long after that. She was actually walking by the place, not coming in. We met. And uh, that began the journey of getting on, uh, as an entrepreneur. But in my mid-20s, you know, I, I didn't want to be a bar owner forever. I, I got involved in a, a dot-com, during the dot-com boom. Went to go work for this dot-com in, in business development. I should say before that, I ran for city council of Atlanta. I walked through the door to 7,000 houses at 26 years old. Almost won the election. It was it was, it was oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot about politics at a young age like that, because I saw firsthand the meanness and the negativity and the lies. I mean, they came at me with such negativity and vengeance, the incumbent. And then the runner up knew that there was going to be a runoff. So the runner up was very smart, attack me, get into a runoff with the incumbent. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about politics. They had this big strategy. They got like, like big time donors and people involved because they were so worried because I was going door to door. I was having these great conversations with people and doing really well. And, uh, oh, yeah, they attacked me. So I lost the election. I thought my life was over. But it was actually, a, a, you know, again, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because mm-hmm. I'd still be in politics today. You know, yeah. the guy who's also running at the next district over, Kasim Reed, is now the mayor of Atlanta. We were both 26. Oh, my God. Yeah, we were both 26 attempting to be, you know, the youngest people ever to be in city council. I lose, he wins, he's the mayor, and I'm doing this now. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm much happier than being a mayor of, of Atlanta. But again, he's he's doing great work. So, um, so I thought I, you know, after I lost the election, I thought my life would, was over, but realized it was a new beginning. Uh, went to law school, dropped out of law school after a year and a half to go take this dot com job. So I started working there in business development. I still have the restaurants at the time. We eventually opened a few other places. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then my wife wanted to move to the beach. So we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. We move and I sell my share back to the restaurant guys. Uh, We weren't getting along. I wasn't seeing my profits anymore, if you know what that means. And, uh, you know, so they, they bought me out and took whatever they gave me. Not a lot. I just said, you know what? Fine. I'm taking it. We moved to Jacksonville. I'm working for the dot-com. I then lose my job during the dot-com crash while we're in Jacksonville. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? My wife and I were fighting all the time. I was negative. I was miserable. And she almost left me. I remember thinking, okay, what am I born to do? Why am I here? Like, What is my purpose? And in that prayer, writing and speaking came to me. I never thought I would do it, but that's what came to me. I said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to somehow find a way to open up a restaurant again, and I'm going to get going with writing and speaking. So I opened up a Moe's Southwest Grill, second mortgage my home, $20,000 in credit cards, and put everything we had into this Moe's Southwest Grill with the goal of hopefully one day writing and speaking. So that's that began the journey of, of what, what I'm doing now. Where did this go-getter attitude and disposition come from? Because I mean, like, you know, when obviously, you know, you, you, you were, your biological father abandoned you. What age did that happen? Right when you were born or? Yeah, he didn't want 
another child. My uh, brother was born. And so one of my mom had an abortion and she said over my dead body. Mm. So about a year in, you know, he left. And so, uh, mm. but I don't know if that drive came from that. I think, you know, I think you're just born with it. Like I was going door to door when it would snow as a kid and I would sell the shoveling of driveways for 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get my brother who's older to go do it and pay him five. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and he would go do it. And so, you know, it's, it's funny because my brother and I love my brother, but to this day we're very similar. Like we, we even do workshops together. Like my company brings in like the workshops and my brother will go deliver them. He is a chief marketing officer of a company, but he also can go do some workshops and some trainings. Not a lot, but I still have him do some training and, and he's amazing at it. But it's funny how we still work together the same way as we did when we were kids. That's awesome. What what beliefs were instilled in you as a kid as it relates to your potential? You know, again, I, I think we have beliefs, but I do remember like my grandparents saying you can be anything and do anything, you know, really believed in me. You're going to do something amazing in this world. I always felt that and, and believed that. Uh, my mom was always very supportive and had a lot of belief in me. I think she was my greatest coach. She passed away when I was 59, about 11, 11 years ago, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but she was always, you know, she, she was always very encouraging. My dad who raised me, again, even though he was negative about life a lot of times, he always instilled a lot of belief in me and, and you know, always felt his, his love. Like he really loved watching me play sports. He was always supportive of me and always encouraged me, coached a lot of my teams growing up. So I would say I always had that support. When you were, you know, you're going through this, this cycle where you're kind of just, you're hitting the ball out of the park and then you run for political office and that doesn't go well. And then you get this uh, job at this tech company and that doesn't go well. And so suddenly I would imagine the narrative that you start telling yourself changes. And, and what did you do to get a grip on that before it got? Out of hand. Well, that's what really happened. I mean, I'm working for this dot com. I had been young and this go getter, making things happen with the bar and the nonprofit. And I was one of Atlanta's up and comers in a lot of magazines. So I was like doing my thing. I was moving and shaking. I was loving it, right? But it was all about me, me, me. You know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm creating something. I'm creating success. It was about you know making money and achieving recognition. And that was the that's what it was about. I mean, I always achieved recognition in sports. You know, I was. And recruited to play football in college. And, you know, it was all, all county and lacrosse and won a lot of awards. So for me, it was always this recognition, right? So now as an entrepreneur, I was doing it the same way. Hmm. And now I go work for this dot com. And I'm just the director of business development, even though I w- was able to put together a lot of the investors and the, the CEO and so forth and get involved that way. That's how I, I jumped into it because I actually put a lot of people together and I jumped in and director of business development. I'm now someone who's just an employee, not one of the top leaders. I'm working for this dot com, wanting to make you know my billions, and that that's what it was all about. Can I make a lot of money? And I just hated it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was dying every day because I wasn't doing what I loved. I didn't have autonomy. I wasn't able to to build something, and really there was no greater purpose for it. But it was mm-hmm. great, right? Because it really caused me to look at my life and say, what do I really want? Why am I here? Now, when writing and speaking came to me initially, even then it was like, okay, I want to write and speak. I want to 
be a writer and speaker. I want to be a famous writer and speaker. And that's what it was about. <laughs> and, you know, and it didn't go well early on. I mean, early on, it did not go well. I even got on the Today Show. I thought my career was going to take off. Everyone said it was going to take off. I was on four times and then nothing happened. It was the weirdest thing because hmm. Joe went great. I thought it was going to take off and then everything just dried up. But it was during that time that, that God was molding and shaping me, taking me through this adversity and really showing me that it's not about you. It's about others. Yeah. I had some incredible faith experiences that, you know, just changed my life. And, you know, I would say like a, a come to Jesus <laughs> experiences that just like you can't explain. And when that happened, I, I started to die to myself. And at that point, it was like, okay, how can I be of use? How can I make a difference? Because I, I lost my job during that com crash. Again, and that's where everything started to fall apart. My marriage was falling apart. And at that moment, it's like, okay, I, what am I born to do? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And God, like, like help me, mm-hmm. provide for me, like help me with my family, help me to pay for the insurance for my kids, help me to not be bankrupt, help me to just somehow figure this out. And it's like, you don't realize God is all you need until God is all you got. And yeah. it's, not, it's not a crutch. It was just like in the emptiness and the void, it's where I found faith. And at that moment, I said, okay, I'm now going to move forward in this way. And the prayer was, use me. Mm-hmm. Use me for your purpose to make a difference. And then everything changed. Then it was about serving others, helping others, making a difference, not about me. And then the early years of writing and speaking, not a lot of recognition, not a lot of success. Five people in one city, 10 people in another, going all, all around the country. Energy bus, I write three and a half weeks, gets rejected by 30 publishers. Not sure. If it's even get published, finally gets published. No bookstores carry it. But here I am now going from city to city, sharing the message in the book when it finally came out. Again, not know if anyone's going to read this book. It takes five years for it to become a bestseller. But in doing that work and going out there and sharing the message wow. and trying to make a difference, that's where I learned like it was about others. I learned humility and I learned appreciation mm-hmm. for the journey and the grind and not getting recognition and just doing the work. And even now, you know, again, ego still pops up. You'll look at like numbers and go, man, I got like, okay, yeah, I got 120,000 on Twitters, but look what Gary Vee has. He has a million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at this guy. Uh, he's guy's got 200,000. Like, why don't I have 200,000? You get into that. And anytime that happens, you know, it's that, yeah, I say, just do the work. Mm-hmm. Like, just do what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Make an impact where you are. Don't yeah. worry about it. Just do the work. Because that's what I did early on. I just did the work every day, showed up, made a difference. That's the story of The Carpenter that I wrote, the book, The Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And that's that journey of building greatness is about mm-hmm. doing the work and being a craftsman instead of a carpenter. Now, when you were, you lost your job, your your wife and your marriage is falling apart. Did, were you already, did you already have a faith in God or is that something that kind of was birthed from that? That was birthed from that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was birthed from that. I, I was um, a seeker, New Ager, uh, Buddhist, uh, meditation, into all that great stuff. I still think it's great. I, I love all that stuff. It was part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what I was doing to try to, you know, seek and connect and deal with the pain and the struggles of my life. Mm-hmm. So since you've like engaged in your faith from that moment, what has been the most faith stretching experience to date? Well, I think that was the most 
faith-stretching experience of mm. literally being this close to bankruptcy. I mean, this close of second mortgage, our home, second mortgage in our home. And, you know, the money that I got from my partners for that restaurant, a hundred thousand, that was it. She got like a half a million, got a hundred and then just left. It's a great lesson though. It's like, don't be bitter. Yeah. Just keep moving forward and get better. We took the money. I'm like, all right, see ya. Never looked back. And it was amazing. Like that money I took from them, the 30,000 that my grandmother had gave me when she passed away that at 18 that I took, that's what I had put into the park bench, the mm-hmm. bar and restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that money, that foundation became what I have to this day. It's, mm-hmm. It was that of just saying, hey, I'm moving forward. I'm not going to get into a lawsuit. I don't really care. I'm going to create my life. Mm-hmm. Those places eventually crumbled that they had. They did not do well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now I'm thriving in the work that I do. Yeah. It's, it's a great lesson in that. So, um, there's a tremendous amount of freedom in yeah, that there's, too. There's freedom in doing things that, you know, you do things the right way, right? Do things the right way and do it with belief and faith. And then you move forward that way. So yeah, I, I had this journey of, of, of faith and belief that I learned along the way. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. One of the things that comes to mind that I always talk about when I'm thinking about adversity is, is my buddy who owns a winery and I love their wine. It's delicious. They make great Pinot Noirs. And you know, you're sipping on this glass of wine, but you don't realize all that it takes to get that fruit into that glass for us to enjoy for a fleeting moment. And if you think about the, the vine itself, the, all of the adversity and the, what it goes through to generate that fruit from the, uh, you know, the, the environment that it's in to getting pruned back to being stretched every year up on these lattices to whatever it is. And I think that's a, I look at the, the vineyards and I think of them as a perfect analogy for how we should face challenges. Yep. There's a, you know, a great analogy that I talk about in the four stages of greatness. It's not a book I wrote, but it's an article I wrote. It's what I've talked about a lot of times to sports teams. The four stages of greatness is something that we will all go through. And there's the preparation stage. You have to prepare to be great. There's the planting stage where you have to plant yourself where you are and say, okay, mm-hmm. I am going to give my life to a bigger cause. I'm going to be here to serve something bigger than myself. And when you plant yourself like a seed in the ground, you then start to grow. Mm -hmm. And so the third stage is the growth stage. And during the growth stage, you get pruned, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. You will be pruned. Mm -hmm. And when you're being pruned, it looks like you've been destroyed. But you haven't been destroyed. That pruning is meant to help you grow more fully, to Mm -hmm. be all that you're meant to be. And so pruning, adversity, challenges helps us grow. It doesn't look like that at the time, but it's part of our growth process. And during the growth stage, you also face a constraint. 
everyone has a constraint mm. and that constraint holds you back. And you have to understand what that constraint is. Yeah. You have to deal with that constraint. It's usually in the place of your wounds. So fear comes up in your constraint. What am I really afraid of? What is holding me back? What fear is keeping me from moving forward? And when you can heal that constraint and heal that wound, you can move forward and reach the final stage, which is the harvest stage. And that's where an entrepreneur, that's where people see the impact of investing in that route and then they get the fruit. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I identify with that so much uh, just in my own life. As we were talking before we hit the record, I, I'm going through this really discernment phase myself about what my greater purpose is and, and, and identifying and crystallizing that both not only where I'm at currently, but where I think that, that I'm being called to, to do and create in the world. And uh, more on that later. But you know, the, the thing I'm thinking about is like, so you're a restaurateur entrepreneur and suddenly you come home one day and you say, honey, I'm going to be a speaker and a writer. <laughs> How did yeah. that go over? <laughs> well, first I told my dad and my dad said, what the heck you want to do that for? <laughs> That's a load of junk. That won't amount to anything. Just focus on your restaurant. Oh gosh. You got to love dads. Yeah. And um, my wife was like, okay. But again, I knew I had to provide for the family. So that's why I decided to open the restaurant so that I could hopefully make enough money that would provide the income to allow me to be a writer and speaker. But when I decided to sell the restaurant, the focus 100% of writing and speaking, it wasn't like it was going great. It wasn't like I thought I could make the living out of this. So that was another leap of faith. And I remember coming home telling her, all right, it's time. We're selling. You know, We'll have about a year and a half of money and income to provide for us while I get this going. And she was like, no, like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, there's no other option. Like, We have to. Because I saw the signs. I was on a road trip and actually going to do a talk out of Oregon. It's like one of the few talks I was actually giving and I, and I loved it. I was so energized by it. And the restaurants were draining me. And I was reading a magazine, a business magazine that said, how to know when to sell your business. And I was like, just such a clear sign. So I came home. I'm like, all right, it's time. And she eventually said, okay. And I went forward with it and we sold it. And funny, like six months later, speaking's not going well. Writing's not going well. And that's when the energy bus came to me though. I was oh, walking. Wow walking and praying. And the idea literally struck me like lightning. I got the idea. I went back. I started writing one of the most amazing spiritual experiences of my life. And that began this journey. And I've learned that you often have to let go of the past in order to create your future. Mm. You have to let go of what is safe in order to step into what you're meant to do. Again, not everyone should do it like me, right? But I know when you get the sign, that's when you leap. That's when you take the jump. You have to build your bridge of faith. So you build the bridge as you walk along this bridge. And then there's going to be some point as you're building the bridge of knowledge, understanding, preparation, getting yourself set up, that you have to take that jump. Yeah. And yeah, then it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary, but you jump, you go for it, and you never look back. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think I've heard you say that, you know, when you are on path, you know, that's when things are really going to start happening. And it's funny because you can you can feel like you're on path, but it's like you're you're like on a parallel path, but you're not on the right path. And it's it's that time where you've got to you've got to make that that step over onto the right path, and that's when you'll encounter all of the the things that really move the needle. 
Yeah, I say when you are on the right path, God will move heaven and earth to support you. You'll face obstacles along the way, yeah. but you'll receive that support and that knowing that you're on the right path. There were many times I wanted to quit early on with the writing and speaking. I mean, there were many times it was hard and challenging, but I knew I was on the right path. And once, once I rode the energy bus, there was no turning back. Yeah. So you had zero audience, zero credibility at that point. So how did you manage to build momentum behind that? Yeah, I think, you know, going on this tour helped. I started a newsletter. You know, everyone has a newsletter now and a blog. In 2002, I started a weekly positive tip. So this is what, 15 oh, wow. years ago. Yeah, okay. So I was ahead of the curve on, on something and uh, <laughs> on that. And then just started these weekly positive tips I was sending out every week. And that really created a lot of momentum. That started to get an audience. And then when I went on this tour, I was going from city to city. I got in a lot of local TV shows, radio shows. Some people heard me. Next thing you know, I get invited to give a talk at one of the associations. Hmm. This association, that association. I created a website with speaking and books and news. And I had no news, but I put up a news button. <laughs> Didn't have any speaking engagements, but I put up a speaking button. I was creating, you know, as if. Yeah. Build your brand as if. So I was creating this brand of this is what I'm going to be doing. It was a vision. And then I was creating that vision each day. And then I would get out there and just go do it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no credibility. No one knew who I was. I, mean, I got I still have hundreds and hundreds of emails in a in a sent folder of all the emails I sent wow. 15 years ago. Hey, I'm John Gordon. I'd love to come speak to your company. Blah blah blah. But I I, I was struggling at one point. I was going to think about getting another job. I sent an email to to Modus, look in Jacksonville where I live, and you know wanted to work there, and never heard back. You know, a great sign. You know, not too long ago, about five years ago, I gave a talk to all the leaders of Modus. <laughs> and I, you know, shared this story with them. It was pretty fun. And the guy came up to me and goes, whoever didn't hire you or call you back, you know, should have been fired. We should we should have hired you. I go, no, you weren't meant to. So that's it's, hilarious. It's a fun journey to go, you know what? Not everyone's, not everyone's gonna see what you see. Not everyone's gonna share your vision. Not everyone's gonna believe in what you believe. Mm-hmm. Your positive energy must be greater than their, all their negativity. Your certainty, your faith must be greater than all their doubt. So just continue to move forward. Or they might not just be ready to hear it, right? Like right. like we were talking about, there's there's the right right time element, you know? Again, I think we create something and we think it's the right time, but the energy bus, I think, was ahead of its time because, like I said, the first five years, no one got it. And yeah. then once people started getting it, it took off. And now with all the talk about positivity, Loving your passengers, drive with purpose, giving yeah. energy vampires. It's like it resonates now more than ever in this world. And yet it was written 10 years ago. And now it's really selling better now than it did even five years ago. I, uh, I know that words are really important to you. And I'm a huge fan of the power of words because when we're not talking to each other, we're talking to ourselves. And if mm. we don't understand the meaning of words, we're really going to be doing potential damage to ourselves if we're using negative self-talk. And I read a book, and here's a recommendation for you because you love words if you haven't already read it. It's called Aspire, Discovering Your Life's Purpose Through the Power of Words, written by a guy named Kevin Hall. And he actually has a story in there about getting on path, about being a pathfinder. And he, he was leading a scouting trip in uh, St. George, Utah, 
And he had just finished telling his scouts about Dr. Gerald Bell, I think his name is. He used to be a, a mindset coach for the University of uh, North Carolina and coached, you know, Michael Jordan, all these people. And he had just finished telling a story about this guy. Well, a little while later, they're out on this hike and all of a sudden, um, this, this guy comes running up to Kevin and it turns out, turns out it's Dr. Bell. No way. And Dr. Bell ends up writing the forward to his book, you know? And I mean, it's just crazy when you get on path, how things show up. And, and I want to talk about the movement that you're creating through, you know, the positive leadership and positive you. And so as we think about leadership, what is the number one barrier that you've seen that prevents leaders from being positive? I think that there's just so much negativity in the world. There's negativity from our teams we're dealing with. There's negativity within ourselves. So it's just that reminder that being a positive leader is what transforms teams and organizations. Mm -hmm. Pessimists don't change the world. Mm -hmm. Critics write words, but they don't write the future. Naysayers talk about problems, but they don't solve them. It really is the positive leaders who dream, believe, and ultimately do to make a difference. So when you look throughout history, you've seen that. We see it to this day. Elon Musk and all these guys who are inventing the future right now. It's incredible what's, what's happening. And so my thing is you have to lead in a positive way through belief, optimism, vision, purpose, which drives our positivity. And then the ability to create great relationships and build united and connected teams mm-hmm. that allow people to do their best work and work with the team to create success because no one creates success alone. Mm-hmm. That's the book I'm writing now, The, the Power of a Positive Team. Mm-hmm. The Power mm-hmm. of Positive Leadership. And then with that and the success of that, I'm now writing The Power of Positive Team, yeah. what makes a team great from a team perspective. Mm, I love that. You know, that, that is a critical element because uh, no matter what we're doing, in life, whether it's a relationship with our spouse, our kids, a business relationship, we're not the only player. We may be really, really good at what we're doing, but if we want to build something that's collectively beautiful, our voice is not the only one that matters. Yes. And, and being positive doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. Yeah. Positively, you help that team that you have be all that they're meant to be. Yeah. Positive leaders are, are demanding. Mm-hmm. They're just not demeaning. Mm-hmm. And positive leaders are encouraging and they believe in their teams more than their teams believe in themselves. So they transfer their belief to their teams. Leadership is a transfer of belief. And it's essential that we lead with that belief. If we want to go anywhere and be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I was listening to a podcast you did with Rich Roll, which was a really phenomenal conversation that you guys had. And you, told this story about a young lacrosse player at Cornell who had all of the potential in the world to be incredibly powerful, not, not even a, on a leadership level, but just because of his heritage, he could be a very powerful and wield a lot of influence. And yet he chose an opposite path and really operated in a very humble way, which ended up even being more powerful and, and having an even greater influence than wielding power could possibly have had. And it made me think about playing with honor as, a, as opposed to playing to win and, and applying that in a leadership sense. So maybe you could share that story because I think it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's funny that you brought it up. 
talk about signs, right? I just wrote about that for this new book about the power oh, wow. of the team. Like, I mean, just just as we got on this interview, I just wrote about George because I wrote a book called The Hard Hat about mm. George, and all the proceeds go to his foundation. George Boyardi is the great grandson of Chef Boyardi. Drove a Jeep, wore a hoodie. The Jeep was beat up, very humble, had all the privilege in the world, but you would have never known it. When he graduated college, uh, his plan was to go work for Teach for America in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to help the, uh, the Native Americans and the poorest of the poor and be there for them and teach them and, and humbly serve them. So that's what he was going to do after graduation. But his senior year, he was a lacrosse player at Cornell. During a game, he got hit in the chest with a ball and died on the field. And so the team came together, devastated, and decided to play for him, to honor him, to be like him. And he was selfless, loyal, hardworking. He was a captain of the team, but very, very quiet leader and led by example. His favorite quote was, well done is better than well said by Benjamin Franklin. Oh, I love that. Quote he lived by. And so... He was this incredible leader. And the team went on to make it to the quarterfinals in the NCAA tournament, a team that didn't have a lot of talent. Like they did an amazing thing. And for years, the team would, would play to honor George. And to this day, you know, they're getting back to the hard hat. They got away from a few years and I'm talking to the coach and they're getting back to the, the hard hat because George was a freshman when he carried the hard hat mm. to symbolize the blue collar ethic of a, a Cornell lacrosse player. So that hard hat symbolizes what a all lacrosse player is all about, and it symbolizes George. And so, you know, the team is now getting back to that. But the important thing is now, what, 12, 13 years later, after his death, his teammates are still living their lives, you know, based on him. Mm. They live their lives to honor him. Like, at 33, 34 years old, they're still living their lives based on a 22-year-old and how he led and the impact he had on them. Many of them have named their sons George, and it's just so cool to see the impact that he's had on them as teammates and as people. And now, since I wrote The Hard Hat, I'm getting all these emails from people who want to be like George. Kids are now reading it, and he's having this even greater impact mm -hmm. on all these people. So here's a guy who, like a seed, planted himself, served, unfortunately passed away, but is now having a huge impact on so many others and the world. His parents have been very hard on them and still is hard to this day, but at least they get to see the impact their son is having on others. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he obviously, he, he led from a, a place of just of love and empathy for others. And I think that that is a, a leadership quality that is lacking today. Yes. What can be done to develop that? You know, my book, The Carpenter, Love, Serve, and Care. Those are the greatest leadership principles ever. They're the greatest leadership principles that will ever exist. Just love, serve, care. So as a leader, you lead from love. You invest in others. You develop relationships. That's real leadership. You serve them. And we think we have to serve ourselves to be great. Now you have to serve others to be great. Mm -hmm. They have to know you're committed to them. And if you're committed to them, you'll bring out their greatness. Mm -hmm. And then they'll see greatness in you. Mm -hmm. And then there's care. You show that you care and your level of care as a leader is what determines the success of your team and what they produce. Because if you care, they'll care. And then if they care, well, now you have a team that cares. That's how you make an impact. Mm -hmm. I always say that you'll stand out when you just care more. 
because so many don't seem to care anymore, right? A lot of people just don't seem to care today. Mm-hmm. So just by caring, you stand out in this in this world. You know, as we, I, 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 we could talk for hours because you and I are like kindred spirits, and um, and uh, I, I'm excited to stay in touch with you and and you know share our journeys. But definitely, um, I want to make sure that people first that we give people an opportunity to go connect with you and and get some of your your books because they're phenomenal, and uh, and maybe where they can see you speak even. To JohnGordon.com, J O N. Gordon.com is my website. Uh, John Gordon 11, J O N Gordon 11 is my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Every week I do a positive tip. So we're always sending out information. That's where we'll announce if I have any public events. I don't do a ton of public events. I mostly do a lot of big company events. Yeah. Conferences is where maybe a public uh, event people come see me or work with a lot of sports teams, NFL teams, college teams. And then, um, Positive University. So we just started Positive University. You go to Positive University, a ton of free resources, doing a lot of interviews like you're doing and just interviewing various people about their journey, overcoming challenges and making a greater impact. So we're doing interviews, providing resources, videos, you know, all for free. That's awesome. You know, I also love this, uh, this, your TED talk that you just gave recently. Uh, uh, which was impromptu. Usually you have to like submit proposals and like all kinds of crazy stuff, but you gave a TED talk with about two hours notice. And and I love two things about that. One is always being ready for opportunity when it presents itself. And two, you almost said no. Yep. Get off the plane. I just spoke to the 49ers. They didn't have a good season. So I obviously didn't do a good job. I get off the plane. I'm exhausted. Four hours sleep. As I'm getting off the plane, I'm walking, you know, to the escalator, going down the escalator. I see the people waiting for me from the event, and they have TED shirts on. And I said, "Hey, what's going on? I love TED." He said, "Oh, we're having a TED event tonight. Tomorrow's when you're speaking, but we have an event tonight for TED. You're speaking to the big school district in the same place tomorrow." I said, "You know, I've always wanted to do a TED event." They said, "Well, will you speak? We just had someone cancel." <laughs> I said, "Ah, oh, no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not ready." You know, I'm exhausted and I don't want to do it. And as we're driving on our way to the hotel, I started thinking about my mission, my vision. I'm like, you know, if you say your vision and mission is to inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time, well, there's going to be people there. How many people are going to be there? They said about 450. Oh, wow. 450 people. And you're not going to take the time to make a difference. Maybe you can make an impact. Just do it. So I said, all right. I'll do it. They're like, really? I'm like, yep, let's do it. He said, all right, great. Went to the hotel, five minutes, changed into my suit because I was not dressed to speak. Got in the suit, went to the event and literally got there. And 10 minutes later, I'm on stage. Have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Wasn't planning it at all. And I just said, all right, I'm going for it. I'm just going to wing it. Let's do it. And I did it. That is, that's a powerful story and, and a great way to begin to conclude. I just have a, a couple more uh, questions for you. And the first is, if you could pick any skill set, and I ask this of every single guest, yeah. these last questions. If you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? So it would be uh, vision. I think I have great vision to see the road ahead, but I would have even greater vision to really be able to see the future. Mm. And... Um, 
created even more. Mm, I love it. So you could see what people's needs are. Because you're, I mean, you 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 want to like you want to have an impact and inspire people one person at a time. And so if you had greater access to vision, yeah, that would accelerate your mission for sure. And if I could see other people's vision for them, like really know what that person's meant to do. Yeah, I love helping people find their vision and mission. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could understand, or maybe so maybe I have empathy. Maybe I would have even such incredible empathy. I'd actually be able to know what their purpose is and what they're meant to do. Mm-hmm. What are three lies that we tell ourselves and that prevent us from realizing our full potential? Oh, it's not the lies we actually tell ourselves. It's the lies that we hear that come to us from consciousness, hmm. from a spiritual place. So we have to know it's a spiritual battle that's going on. Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? You would never choose to have a negative thought. Oh, Those negative thoughts come in and what happens is you actually believe the lie. And because mm-hmm. you believe it, it then becomes real for you. So I just tell people, don't believe the lie. Just because mm-hmm. you have a negative thought doesn't mean you have to believe it. Instead, arm yourself with the truth. Move forward with the truth. And the truth is, you were born to be great. You have greatness inside of you. You were never meant to be average. The reason why you feel like you want to be great, because we all do, is because that desire is very real because you were meant to do great things. Mm-hmm. So continue to remember that truth. Mm-hmm. So don't believe the lie that you're not good enough. Don't believe the lie that you don't have all the resources you need so you won't be successful. You have everything you need and the resources will come your way. And don't believe the lie that the world can define you. You're never defined by the world or the outside. We always create our world inside out. So don't believe the lie that, that the outside creates us. No, we always create the outside through our spirit, joy, love, and passion. That's how you create real success. Yeah, I love that, man. That's awesome. Last question, and I know you're going to love this question. It's the, it's the title of a book by Clay Christensen, and it's How Will You Measure Your Life? So I've already thought about this a lot. I always live with the end in mind. I will measure my life that when I die, hopefully a while from now, but you just never know, that people will meet my kids. My daughter's 19 now. My son is a senior in high school. They will meet them at some point in their life. And they will tell them about the impact I had on their life. That your dad, you know, made a difference in my life. Something I read, I mean, something I wrote, something they read of mine or talk that they heard me give and something I said that inspired them. I want various people to meet my kids and, and tell them. So that's how I live my life To When I meet people to create a memory, to create a lasting impact, everyone I meet, I want to create value for them. I want them to leave me knowing that they left with something something mm-hmm. for me that made their life better. So mm. I will measure it that way. And yeah. uh, I often tell my brother, you know, it's going to be a great funeral. That's yeah. what I'm looking for, a great funeral. Well, my wish for you is that they get to see that while you are with them. That'd be nice. In the same way that, like, I, I rem- as I'm saying this, I recall this video I saw of this, of this uh, German guy who helped smuggle a lot of uh, Jewish people out of Germany. And so he was being honored by some organization. And then all of a sudden, all of these people started standing up, which were either direct uh, people that survived or direct descendants of, uh, of those people. And, and here he was in this, this one man, and there were hundreds of people surrounding him. And his family was there, and I, I wish that for you. That was a, I saw that video. That was I got goosebumps just now as you described it. That yeah. was 
Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, because you know, I, I want like, that same thing for me too. Yeah, my kids, they get a little bit now because their friends actually follow me on Twitter and, <laughs> and, and watch my videos and so forth, but my kids refuse to hear that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're too young. They're like, yeah, whatever, dad. Yeah, they, you're just they dad. Do not, they do not yeah. listen to me. They can care what I have to say. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, it's all good. But yeah, maybe later on in life, hopefully they do. Awesome. Well, hey, John, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. This has been a blast, so insightful, and I know it's going to leave an impact in the lives of others. Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you. Thank you to this week's guest, and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Impact.